We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, August 2nd, 2021. Welcome to a brand new week and month here on The Guy Benson Show. Broadcasting live from greater Austin, Texas. Glad to have you all here. I'm Guy Benson, your host. Every weekday, we're together, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, plus bonus Benson podcast on the weekends. Podcast is available of every show for free on demand. GuyBensonShow.com, all the ways to listen live there as well. The podcast, which I mentioned every day, I have to give a shout out to our podcast listeners. We crushed our previous monthly record of downloads and listens in July. In the dog days of summer, no less. That is a huge deal. We are extremely excited about it, and we are thankful to all of you. Let's keep cooking together, growing the radio family here on The Guy Benson Show. And again, I'll give you the website, GuyBensonShow.com, for all of your online needs related to this fine program. Here on the show today, two guests, Jonah Goldberg upcoming in the next hour. In our final hour, Dr. Nicole Sapphire is back. Third time in less than two weeks. Impressive. There's good reason for her to be back. We'll get into that with her in the happy hour in the 5 p.m. Eastern time slot. Looking forward to that conversation. Fox News alert as we begin with the stats. Let's bring you coronavirus cases in the United States. Now north of 35 million confirmed. The real number much higher because a lot of the cases aren't reported, were not picked up by tests, etc. The death toll now in the U.S. from COVID, 612,982. And that is creeping upward every day. It's actually an increase now week over week, because we're in the middle of this surge fueled by the highly contagious Delta variant. Hospitalizations are up as well. We know that hospitalizations and deaths are decoupled from cases among the vaccinated, not so much among the unvaccinated, which is why any surge that we're seeing is a concern. Although, again, the fact that so many Americans are vaccinated now more than 70 percent of U.S. adults have at least one dose, which is great. That was just announced today. For the vaccinated, the cases are not nearly the concern that they are for the unvaccinated. Plus, there's a lot of natural immunity floating around out there. So a lot of moving parts that we try to digest and explain every day. The Dow is down 17 points right now currently trading at 34,920. Well, let's talk about coronavirus cases, shall we? It is the number one story in the country. It has been for a year and a half. 
We cover it every single day to one extent or another, and I know it's been heavy coverage in particular the last few weeks. Because of the Delta surge and all of the concerns around it, some of which are absolutely valid, some of which are hysteria, some of the policies being floated out there and implemented, a number of which I think are sensible, others not at all. And what we try to do is separate out the reality from the hysteria, the sensible decisions from the ones that are reactionary and not supported by data. I saw, for example, in the last few days, NBC in particular and some of their reporters were sharing this scoop that they had, oh, exclusive. There are 125,000 Americans who are fully vaccinated who have nevertheless tested positive for COVID-19. So these are the so-called breakthrough infections that we talk a lot about. And with this very, very contagious strain of coronavirus flying all over the country, it is the dominant variant in America. The numbers I've seen are between 83 and 94 percent of all the new cases in the country are Delta variant. There are people, 125,000, they say, have had breakthrough infections, even though they're fully vaccinated. And when people see those headlines, they say, oh, my God, this is that's a lot. Maybe the vaccines don't work. Let's all freak out. The problem when you see that number, and this goes back to a conversation that we had very early as the pandemic was really starting to take its toll and we were trying to get our arms around everything, denominators and numerators matter a lot when it comes to fractions. So the top number, the numerator here is 125,000 breakthrough cases. Known, I should add. The denominator is 164 million fully vaccinated Americans. So Axios put these numbers into perspective. Of the 164 million vaccinated Americans, less than 0.1% have been infected with the coronavirus, meaning 99.9 plus percent of the fully vaccinated population of America has not been infected with the coronavirus. That is an extraordinarily strong number. Now, are there cases that are breakthrough cases that are not reported? Is the 125,000 actually a low ball? I think the answer is almost certainly yes. There's probably a lot of asymptomatic or mild breakthrough cases that are not getting reported. So the numerator is probably actually quite a bit greater than 125,000, but the denominator is still 164 million. It is still a very rare occurrence to have a breakthrough case. More important than that, when you look at the death rate, people dying of COVID after being fully vaccinated, 0.001%. So I will repeat for those in the back a little bit louder what we've been saying over and over again. And the data bears it out. Even if the context is somehow and occasionally shorn by media figures and other people who are spreading, I think, needless fear. If you're a fully vaccinated person, you are heavily protected against infection. And you are almost completely, like almost close to statistically 100% protected against hospitalization from a very severe case or death from COVID. 
I wanted to open today's show with those numbers, not just a rebuttal or a a better piece of context for that 125,000 number, that in isolation, right, if that's the only headline that you read, you might jump to a bunch of conclusions about the vaccines and the Delta variant and sort of this fear all fuels on itself. It feeds, it grows, it compounds. And if you have the needed context, you can take a breath. You can make better decisions. We can craft better policy. People might make, might make better choices about going to get vaccinated. And we've seen a very significant uptake across the country of people getting vaccinated because they're looking around and saying, okay, Delta thing seems serious. I don't want to have bad outcomes. Now seems like a good time to go ahead and get that first shot. And I fully endorse that. Now, nothing that I just told you is revolutionary or terribly shocking. It is simply reinforcing some important lessons that we've been talking about using the statistics for weeks and weeks and weeks and months on this show. And I wanted to set the table for this conversation, the opening hour today, by reiterating the facts and the reality and not go straight to something that would seem potentially emotional and scary and personal and all this stuff. But I want to let you know, and I want you guys to be the first people to know, that on Friday after the show, I tested positive for COVID-19. I took a rapid test again Saturday and again Sunday and again this morning. Positive, positive, positive. I have COVID. I am fully vaccinated, as you all know. (laughs) Probably tired of me talking about it. Both shots in Moderna, one in April, one in May. So although those breakthrough cases that we've now talked about how many times, right, just endlessly, we, at least prior to now, it was all sort of using statistics and looking at the broader data. It is now personal to me. I am one of the breakthrough cases. Still quite rare, but not non-existent. And I would say, and there's some early data suggesting, increasingly common with the Delta variant because it is so incredibly infectious, so incredibly contagious. However, the most important thing I can tell you about my positive COVID diagnosis is that I have felt overall great. So here's how it all happened. It started... Friday evening. I was here on Friday. I was on the air. I did three hours of radio. I did a full hour on TV, outnumbered as well. You may have heard in my voice, I had like a little tickle in my throat. I was coughing a little bit. I've been coughing a little bit the previous day as well. Had a kind of a runny nose. That was it. I was in the studio here in Austin, Texas, co-hosting Outnumbered. And in the next hour coming up after Outnumbered, the 1 p.m. hour, as America reports, Carl Rove was going to be a guest. So Carl Rove and his business partner roll into this studio. They're sort of in the green room area, and Rove is giving me a hard time. I'm sitting there in the chair. I'm co-hosting the show. Commercial break. 
from outnumbered, and he's like, oh, you're in my town, you don't call, you don't text. He's ribbing me. And he comes over to give me a handshake or a hug, and just because I had this little throat tickle, and it just like felt like a slight head cold, I had, once I started feeling those things, I'd started wearing a mask. I don't think that vaccinated people need to be wearing masks around. If you have certain symptoms, just to be careful, I decided I was going to put a mask on. Of course, not while I was on the air. So I told Carl, hey, I kind of got a cough. I don't think it's anything too concerning. Just a heads up. And his business partner says, you know, that's interesting. My grandson is in his 30s. He's fully vaccinated. He just had COVID last week. And the only thing he had was a little bit of a runny nose and a cough, kind of like you. And I said, huh, that's interesting. It's just in the back of my mind. And then we had Dr. Nicole Sapphire on the radio show on Friday, and she and I talked off the air a little bit. And she was saying, yeah, basically... For these breakthrough infections, it's kind of just a a common cold now for people. And I thought to myself, all right, that's the second time in a day where I've had a little bit of a ping in my head. Could this potentially be COVID? And because I'm here in Texas, or I was here in Texas, the plan was to attend a weekend event, a summit with Governor Abbott and some of his supporters. Friday night was going to be the welcome event at a minor league ballpark. And before I went to the ballpark, I just decided, I texted my friend on the campaign. I said, hey, could I get access to a rapid test for COVID? I just have a few very, very mild head cold symptoms. I was on the air for four hours. It was not even enough for me to think about calling in sick. I just want to be careful. He said, sure. So I got the COVID test, did the whole thing, swirling through the nostrils, and there's these droplets, and it's actually... Very simple. It's the Abbott, not Greg Abbott, the company Abbott, their rapid test. And I waited about 20 seconds, and it's kind of like a pregnancy test. This one line shows up, and if that line shows up, it means you're positive, and I'm positive. So I immediately went and started isolating. I was texting Dr. Sapphire. She's been giving me all sorts of great advice. I did not interface with the governor. I did not interface with any of his supporters. I'd imagine some of them skewing a little bit older and conservative. There might have been unvaccinated people there. This is why I took an extra precaution. I'm glad that I did. The panel I was supposed to take part in on Saturday, I did just remotely. I zoomed in. Not ideal, but again, this is what you do. I feel today 90% normal, 95% normal maybe. On the day that I tested positive earlier in the day, I went for a run, right? I worked a full day. I've exercised. There's no breathing issues. Even the runny nose and stuff, the cough is basically gone. I have a few weird things with my sense of smell and taste. And I'll talk about that at the end of the show because it's not funny, but it's sort of entertaining. I've been doing little experiments in my hotel room. What can I taste and what can I not taste? Can you tell I've had a very exciting weekend? Bottom line is, the vaccines work. I am so thankful that I was vaccinated against this disease because right now, the experience I'm having would not be a sniffle and an inconvenience. It could be much more unpleasant if the vaccines did not work, but they do. It's been an irritation, an inconvenience, and nothing more. 
Thank you, Moderna. Thank you, Operation Warp Speed. I am very grateful. And I hope, based on my experience and the contagiousness, the transmissibility of Delta, if you're on the fence, think of this. If you're going to get the virus, would you rather have this huge layer of protection of the vaccine or not? I am profoundly glad that I have this vaccine in my system. Or else I might not even be on the air today. Frankly, I might be sick in bed with COVID. Instead, I'm on the air feeling good with COVID. And that's because of the vaccine. A few more thoughts on this. A lot to get to. Plus, the mayor of D.C. making an absolute clown of herself over the weekend. All of that and more coming up on The Guy Benson Show. Energetic. Informed. Fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. Back here on the Guy Benson Show, I just saw that Senator Lindsey Graham... Republic of South Carolina, he's announced that he's been informed he's tested positive for COVID-19 despite being fully vaccinated. So welcome to the club, Senator. The breakthrough club, not something that I ever wanted to be a part of, but here we are. I announced at the top of the show, tested positive on Friday evening for COVID-19 and have been testing positive each day since. I'm in isolation, still here in Texas, but feeling good. The worst I felt was like a light head cold, sniffles, runny nose, and a cough. With those symptoms, quote-unquote, such as they exist, barely affecting me at all at this point. And that's because the vaccine works. I did, of course, tell people that I had interfaced with, right, contact tracing, let people know, anyone that I may have exposed. And thankfully, to this point, everyone is fine. My husband has tested negative, I got in touch with Carl Rove. He just emailed me a few hours ago saying he tested negative, which is great as well. The Abbott campaign, which brought me here just to do some thoughts on media and social media and that sort of thing, and I participated remotely, as it turns out, they have been fantastic, extremely supportive, really, really helpful. I'm grateful to them throughout this minor ordeal. And great, the new... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This also is... 
This is something that I'm happy about. The data shows not only are breakthrough cases for vaccinated people much less severe, they're also apparently shorter in duration. Knock on wood. I would like to go home as much as I love Texas. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. A couple more thoughts and reflections, as I have just shared with all of you that I tested positive for COVID on Friday after this show aired. And I've been isolating all week, and I'm still here in Texas feeling good, feeling like 90% normal. And that's attributable to the vaccine and the efficacy of the vaccine. I had Moderna, as many of you recall. Now, some people might wonder, does he still oppose the CDC guidance of asking vaccinated people to wear masks indoors and in certain settings. And my answer is my view has not changed. Because of the data that I rehearsed at the very start of the show, from the CDC itself, 164 million fully vaccinated Americans and 125,000 breakthrough cases, one of which is me. Although I don't think I'm in any of the official statistics, which is why we always say that the case counts are not fully accurate. Right? You all know that I'm COVID positive, but there's no government entity keeping track of this that would have me as one of their tallies, but I'm still out here. So I think, as I said, the likelihood is there's a lot more people who have a breakthrough case, but they don't know it because their symptoms are non-existent or very, very mild like mine have been. But I started wearing a mask again once I started to have this cough and sniffle just as a precaution. I didn't need anyone to mandate that I do it. It was just me being an adult and making decisions, not just for myself, but for others. This is why I decided to get tested. I wasn't going to get tested. I didn't feel nearly lousy enough to say, oh, gosh, I I must have COVID. But because the symptoms are so mild for vaccinated people and because I was going to be around not just the governor, but in all likelihood, at least some unvaccinated people. I just took it upon myself, knowing everything that I know about this disease, because we cover it and talk to doctors constantly, I made that decision. And I think that both of those things were the right decisions. And I think if we just act rationally and logically, this is how things can work. We don't need the government saying, oh, if you feel totally fine, 100% normal, and you're a fully vaccinated person, you need to wear a mask inside. I think that makes no sense. I think that makes absolutely no sense. I don't think we should be having the government mandate things like masks, especially under that circumstance, given how successful the vaccines are at preventing infection, let alone the severe stuff. Now, once you might have minor symptoms or you're potentially symptomatic, I think responsible people can take ownership of that, which is what I tried to do, and maybe think about wearing a mask and then get tested as soon as possible. That's precisely what I did on Friday. But that doesn't change my opinion about this idea of the government saying asymptomatic, completely healthy feeling, fully vaccinated people, 
have to wear masks indoors? No. And, and it goes back to the other point. Aside from how rare the breakthrough cases are, if you want to help convince people to get vaccinated, and those ranks are growing for a variety of reasons, telling people like one of the payoffs, one of the nice inconveniences of mask wearing that will go away if you're vaccinated, oh, we're going to reverse course on that? I think it's a disincentive. I think it's counterproductive. So my position there remains the same, having gone through this. Nate Silver made a lot of people on the left angry. He's a a data guy. He's a left-leaning data guru. And he tweeted just a few days ago, quote, Honestly, as long as you're vaccinated and not in some sort of special circumstance, you should choose to live your life however you want under COVID. But don't mistake over-caution for for virtue or wisdom. I think that's right. He got so much furious pushback because of Delta and because the CDC saw this. Didn't you see what happened in Provincetown, Massachusetts? Let's talk about Provincetown, Massachusetts, for just a second. And this was apparently one of the triggering factors that led the CDC to have this deep concern where they decided, okay, we're going to do a 180 on some of this mask guidance. Although I still have no earthly idea why they decided to force children back into masks through their recommendations. Young kids, three, four, five, it's just not supported by the data. And we'll get into some of that a little bit later on. But in Provincetown, Massachusetts, that's Cape Cod, the very tip of Cape Cod. And it has been for many years a gay mecca where gay people, especially gay men, all gather and do their beach vacations. Now, I go to Cape Cod a lot. My family has a house up there, but not to P-Town. In fact, in my whole life, I've only been to P-Town once. And it was last summer during the pandemic when it was deserted. So I kind of liked it because there was you know, room and apparently it gets very crowded during normal beach seasons. That was not the case the one time I was there. I joke that I'm like the worst gay. I've only been to Provincetown once, even though I've spent many, many summer weeks in the Cape. But P-Town had this big outbreak that people have been talking about. Hundreds of party revelers who were fully vaccinated had breakthrough cases. Several hundred of them, fully vaccinated, like me, got the case or various degrees of cases of COVID in terms of severity or symptoms. Very light symptoms, mild symptoms. There were, out of those hundreds of people, five who got hospitalized and zero died. None. The case rate in that community spiked up into double-digit percentage range, Briefly, and then stabilized and came back down to a much more manageable situation in Barnstable County. Right? This super spreader event, if you will, this breakthrough super spreader event was contained and mild and not lethal. So if you look at this through one frame, you might say, oh gosh, hundreds of people who are fully vaccinated still got COVID. Panic. No. I think the correct way to look at it is from the opposite vantage point, which is you had basically a laboratory pure scenario, like a Petri dish for a super spreader. You had a bunch of 
basically guys in absolutely packed dance parties in buildings with horrible ventilation. And I saw one writer say that they were interacting, that these people were interacting in ways that most Americans don't typically interact, which I think is a very polite way of putting it. But at some of these types of gay dance parties, which I do not frequent or attend, but hey, look, you know, you do you. It is uh, a a more um, intimate degree of interpersonal interaction. How else can I phrase this? Right? And just like crammed like sardines into these terribly ventilated, no air circulation, again, like petri dishes. This is the way that you can create a super spreader event. And so it happened. Hundreds of people came back and reported cases. There were probably a lot of other people who didn't get cases. That's the thing. There were thousands and tens of thousands of people involved in these parties. So a lot of them were protected from infection. Some of them may have gotten infected totally asymptomatic, didn't know. But there were hundreds of infections with a a good degree of uh, symptoms, but not severe symptoms among these vaccinated people. And only a tiny, tiny five out of this whole event with a very contagious strain, five hospitalizations, that's it, zero deaths. That is a stress test on steroids for these vaccines, and they worked. That's the way I look at it, and I feel like extrapolating any sort of COVID panic based on that experience in Provincetown is like the opposite in terms of drawing a lesson than what we should be deriving from what happened there. One more point on this before I take a break, then I want to address in the next segment the Washington, D.C. mayor who just, what an absolute embarrassment what she just did with these mask mandates and then, you know, rules for thee. It's maybe the worst example of it that I've seen. But one more point, because people talk about Delta, 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 Delta. And I'm very confident my case that I have, because I tested positive. If you're just joining us, I tested positive over the weekend. I've got COVID. It's extremely mild. I feel fine. I'm very confident I have the Delta variant because it's the dominant strain, very contagious. And they say, well, this is this is like, you know, a complete game changer. This is why some of these new restrictions would be justified or warranted or what have you. And some people are treating Delta like it's this mysterious, totally unknowable force. I'm not saying it's not concerning or alarming at all. Of course, because of the transmission rate, yes. Let's be careful. Let's think things through. But India, where it originated, that's why the Delta Indian variant, they had a really horrible time. And then the cases crashed. They plunged. Then it hit the UK. They're about a month ahead of us, a few weeks ahead of us. They had a big Delta wave. And now cases have absolutely plunged in the UK. And they have similar vaccination rates to us here in the United States. And it ended up being, yes, there were hospitalizations in all these cases, but the deaths were not, it was not commensurate. Like if you look at the, the curves, the deaths did not 
spike the way that they had in previous waves because of that decoupling thanks to immunity through the vaccine and through natural immunity or the combination thereof. I'm sort of excited when I'm done with all this, I'll have both. I'll be like Superman against COVID with two shots plus the natural immunity. But the UK has just gone through this and they're coming out on the other side of the Delta wave. There are reasons for us to believe that is very likely to happen here in a matter of weeks. It's not a call for complacency. It's not saying, hey, you know, it's not really worth it. Don't worry. You don't have to go get vaccinated. It's all going to be over soon. No. But the UK has similar vax rates to us. They didn't reimpose restrictions. That's key. They did not reimpose restrictions during the Delta wave. Same Delta variant that we're dealing with right now. And their cases are way down. And I'm hoping that is where we are heading. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion. And it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And this is what people like Dr. Scott Gottlieb have been talking about in the coming weeks. In the meantime, go get that vaccine. Get that layer of protection. And let's just take a breath collectively together. All right, we will turn to Mayor... Muriel Antoinette Bowser of Washington, D.C., and her hypocritical counterpart, Queen Nancy Pelosi, right after this on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. So last week, I teed off on Mayor Bowser and the D.C. government reimposing mask mandates indoors for everyone, including vaccinated people. And for children, they are even recommending outdoor masking if you're in groups or crowded areas. And I ran through all the numbers about why I felt like that was based on the data. It's not a feeling. That was not warranted, certainly not in the District of Columbia, where Delta cases were extremely low, where hospitalizations are not spiraling out of control at all, not even close, where deaths are exceptionally low. In fact, the seven-day average of deaths in D.C. on the day of the announcement was zero. That was the average, zero deaths over the previous week. But they, oh, they said this is an incredibly important thing. It's incredibly important that everyone mask up again, even if you're vaccinated. And we tore into that for all the reasons that we've partially reiterated this hour. Now, that was going to go into effect on Saturday. So like stroke of midnight, basically, on Saturday. Would you like to know what the mayor did on Friday night? She celebrated a birthday party. She had a big 
group photo, smiling, no masks, indoors with Dave Chappelle, the comedian. She had a birthday party, no masks. Because I guess the Delta variant was going to just show up at midnight like a big COVID pumpkin. Because science, right? It's very sciencey. So her defenders might really stretch and say, well, you know, maybe it didn't look perfect, but in fairness, she was still following the letter of the law on Friday night, even though I think it's just so capricious and, and absurd. It's like she set the thing for after her birthday party. How, what does that convey in terms of seriousness? Well, guess what? Saturday, after it was in effect, post-mandate implementation, she was, and you've probably seen this or heard about it by now, photographed at a wedding in Washington, D.C., indoors without a mask. And her office says, well, I mean, it's, it might have been just while she was eating. No, apparently there's also a video that shows she was just sitting at a table without a mask on. Less than 24 hours into this scientifically unjustifiable mandate for all the other people, but apparently not for Mayor Bowser. She who famously, remember, banned dancing at weddings? Who told people not to take unnecessary, non-essential trips, and then she took a trip to Joe Biden's victory celebration? Super essential. Very science. These people wonder why people hold them in contempt and don't believe them. It's like she saw the French laundry debacle from Governor Newsom in California and said, hold my beer. I guess maybe in his case, hold my wine. And now this from Muriel Antoinette. Make them wear masks. She'll do whatever, whatever the hell she wants, as usual. She's a Democrat in Washington, D.C., which went you know, 95-5 for the Democrats. She's untouchable. She's in charge. And she kind of wants you to know both of those things. Did she not think people were going to take photos at a wedding? I just don't think she cared that she was going to get caught. I see that the Washington, uh, I guess the Washingtonian has come to her defense with a hit piece saying that the reporter who broke the story for the Washington Examiner wasn't invited to the wedding. Who cares? How pathetic. The mayor did what she did. The fact that a reporter was able to engage in journalism despite Gasp not being invited to the wedding where the mayor was violating her own orders is completely irrelevant. It's like bootlicking damage control for a little authoritarian and hypocrite to try to deflect a little bit from this embarrassment. And now Pelosi, who's got the same thing on Capitol Hill, but only on the House side, right, those rules, she's now been photographed twice without her mask covering her face. Because I guess you can take the mask off your face occasionally if you're Speaker of the House. It's the science. It's the science, right? What a joke. All right, Jonah Goldberg coming up as we begin our second hour on The Guy Benson Show. Straight ahead. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. Live 
From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour is underway here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Broadcasting from Texas. Good to be here in the Lone Star State. As we begin our middle hour of three, I'll remind you that our website is GuyBensonShow.com. If you can't listen as we air, the podcast is available on demand for free every day. And we had a monster month of July on the podcast, thanks to you. Set a new record here on the show. And we feel great about that because we have such a great audience and we're glad that it's growing. So appreciation to each and every one of you. Keep telling your friends. Let's do this together. Fox News alert as we get to our guest here in just a moment. The Dow closes down 97 points today, closing at 34,800 and 38. I also just see that the governor of Louisiana has reimposed a mask mandate in that state. They've had a really tough time with COVID, but the mask mandate includes schools, which I think is wrong. I think it's just empirically not supported by the data. And we've explained why a thousand times. We'll probably touch on some of those reasons again coming up in a bit. But for now, let's welcome back Jonah Goldberg, editor-in-chief of TheDispatch.com, a Fox News contributor, author of multiple best-selling books. And Jonah, it's good to have you here. Always great to be here, my friend. So I spent much of the first hour on the show. I I know you were listening because you listen every day, all three hours. Uh, But in case for some strange reason you may have missed it, Jonah, I spent much of the first hour talking about how I found out over the weekend that I am now one of these much-discussed breakthrough cases of COVID. I tested positive. I'm fully vaccinated. I feel fine because of the vaccine, frankly. It's extremely, extremely mild. I'm, of course, isolating just for the sake of other people. And I feel like 90% good. I also still feel that some of these mask mandates for vaccinated people are silly because as soon as I started to feel a little bit off with a runny nose and a tickle in my throat and a cough, I started wearing a mask on my own volition. No one told me to do it. I decided this is probably the better part of valor, that I'm going to go get tested as soon as I can. And the test came back. Positive, and I wasn't going to get tested except I was about to attend a big event with a lot of people, some of whom may not be vaccinated. I just, these are the decisions that I think citizens of a free country who are responsible, empathetic adults can make for themselves. You have written now a few different times on social media. I read some of your column on Friday over the air about the mask mandates and why you're basically done with them especially in my mind, for vaccinated, asymptomatic people, I I completely agree with you. If you would lay out your argument why, because I know immediately there are going to be people stomping their feet saying, here go these conservatives again, uh, you know, denying science, and they're going to get people killed. And this guy even had a breakthrough case, and he still doesn't believe in masks. Um, If only it were that simple, Jonah. Right. So first of all, um, I'm sorry to hear that you got sick. I have every confidence that You'll be fine, given A, your age, B, your generally good health, and C, that you were vaccinated. Still, I think it's regrettable that when news came out today that you were sick, that the stock market went down. 
Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's a testimony to your to your influence and your my, role. My in influence. Society. It's true. Uh, look, uh, <laughs> I, as I wrote in my column last week, I am I have been very very middle of the road on all of this stuff. I criticize people who turn masks into some sort of virtue signaling thing that proved that blue state Americans were more morally serious. And I criticized people who rejected masks, you know, in total because they claimed that it was a sign of tyranny and oppression. I thought both positions were sort of silly. I am neither a maskophobe nor a maskophile. I think they're just simply tools. And it sounds like you're using it the way a reasonable, normal person would use it, use it as a tool. Like, you don't want to, you, you think you're sick, you, you don't want to be contagious, you know, wear a mask, stay away from people. I wish, you know, I, I'll get, get to my larger point in a second. I do think it's worth keeping in mind that the people who are most likely to be unvaccinated are also the people to are most likely not to wear masks. Uh, right. There's a weird way in that that, that, that works. And, it's, and it's, it's weird on both sides again, because the people who are most likely to wear masks are also the people who are most likely to be vaccinated. They're, it's just a, we live in a strange time. All of that said, there's just not a lot of evidence that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of vaccinated people who, A, get the, get the virus, B, get enough of the virus that they become sick, never mind contagious. And um, asking everybody to wear masks again strikes me as just a major step backward. And look, I can criticize people who are irrational about masks on either side of the issue. At the end of the day, it's just an objective fact that these things are socially disruptive. They drive people crazy. The whole incentive structure for getting vaccinated was to get back to normal. And at this stage, if you're not vaccinated, um, barring some very rare medical or religious objection, um, that's on you. And the idea that we have to go back and towards the, back towards the regime of mask wearing is, 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 is just, it's terrible politics. It's terrible. I mean, it's, it's, and it's a terrible signal to, for people to get vaccinated. And, um, and, the, and it'd be one thing if the science were there, but the science isn't there. And moreover, the extent that the science is there a little bit for kids um, it's still incredibly unlikely that kids are going to get sick, that kids are going to get hospitalized, never mind kids are going to die. It's very unlikely that vaccinated people are these major vectors for the disease. This is fundamentally a pandemic for the unvaccinated at this point. And we were originally told that we need to do all, take all of these measures, including lockdowns and whatnot, to avoid overwhelming the hospital system. Well, except for in a handful of places, there's no danger of the hospital systems being overwhelmed. In D.C., I think there are eight people in the hospital with COVID, and now we've got a new mask mandate. It's just, it's just yeah. silly, and it's, it's, it's pandemic theater, and the long-term consequences of it, I think, far outweigh the health benefits that you get from it. And in D.C., the woman who imposed this insane mandate clearly doesn't even believe that it's necessary because she didn't abide by it immediately after it went into effect. I mean, it's it's really hard to convince people, oh, yes, uh, we, ha we have to do this, and we're changing the rationale, and we're shifting the goalposts again. You must do these things that you hate, and then turn around literally the next day and not do the things yourself. Exactly. And, you know, I, I find, you know, it, it goes back to Gavin Newsom going to French Laundry. The, 
there are very few elites, I think, across the ideological spectrum who have behaved well during the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that some people don't deserve extra blame because it's their job to behave well. You know, Governor Cuomo, I, I was very reluctant to criticize him in the beginning because this was strange new territory and we didn't know what was going on and we lacked information in a playbook. But then it became very clear that Cuomo had lied about what he did, when he did it, and how he did it to preserve his political standing and to preserve his book sales. And that's outrageous because concealing information is incredibly dangerous during, a, during that stage of the pandemic when everybody was trying to figure out what best practices were, and he was minimi minimizing the damage that they did. I think, I, I think some of the demonization of Anthony Fauci goes way overboard, but I think at a minimum, he has not been the effective communicator, neither has Rochelle Walensky, that we should, yeah. should expect. And, you know, at some point, maybe it's unfair to those two, but at some point when you lose credibility, the issue is not fairness to an individual, but what is the best means of communicating to the general public? And I just think that they've, they've fallen down on the job on that. Jonah, before we shift to another topic, I've seen this argument floating around because I talk about kids on COVID like they are basically zero risk, by which I mean they have statistically effectively a 0% chance of dying from COVID if you're under the age of 18. And that's what we've seen in this pandemic. 335 kids have heartbreakingly died with COVID over the last year and a half in a country that has 75 million people in that age cohort. And in all likelihood, the real number among those 335, 337 is even lower that in terms of deaths that were actually caused by COVID. Statistically, it's, it's not a comfort at all to those families, but it is a virtually non-existent phenomenon, chi a child death from COVID. And you get a lot more kids dying from drowning or even from pneumonia during that period of time. And when I talk about that, people freak out and they say, well, you just, you're callous, you don't care about dead kids. If we can save just one life, then masks in schools should be you know, all of this stuff, right? And I just, and Mary Catherine Ham was tweeting about this earlier, it is not realistic, it is not a mature way to talk about any of this, right? We could say, well, if we really care about kids' lives, and if we could just save one life, let's ban pools, pools. Swimming pools are not allowed anymore because some kids might drown. This is no way to live a life or to run a society or to craft policy about things. And it's yeah, frustrating when you try to be rational and people say, oh, well, you just don't care about dead kids. No, it, it's absurd. I mean, this, this, if it saves just one life, it's worth it rhetorical trope, which comes into the gun debate all the time as well, is nonsense. If we truly believe that any public policy that would save one life was justified, we would make the speed limit five miles an hour. Um, we would ban kids from cars because twice as many kids die in cars every year than those 335. And again, those 335, which all are tragedies. Every, every single kid dying for any reason is a tragedy. But the data on what their comorbidities were and that kind of stuff is very unclear. And right. the reality is, again, this is part of it sort of gets, gets the Basiat seen and unseen stuff. We can see, you know, people say, well, we have to save these, you know, even one kid's life and it's worth it. But they don't put on the other side of the ledger 
the huge uptick in uh, suicidal behavior by teenagers. They don't put, a, you know, on the other side of the ledger, the drug overdoses, the alcohol overdoses. They yep. don't uh, put in abuse. You know, what I think will probably get the abuse. I'm sure we're going to get horrifying numbers about abuse from all this. Because, look, I mean, at the end of the day, this is something I think people are really losing sight of. This pandemic, I mean, our brains are not wired to handle pandemics well. And all things considered, I think, you know, it's shocking how well most people handle it. But there's a huge uptick in road rage, huge uptick in unruly passengers on planes, huge uptick in customers being rude to uh, uh, at restaurants and whatnot. I think a big part of the crime, yeah, the defund the police stuff is part of that story, too. But so is so are the lockdowns and the pandemic. People are losing their minds with all of this. And when we say, well, we got to keep it going to protect some unquantifiable minuscule number of kids who may also be just as vulnerable to the cold or the flu. Right. There are trade-offs that they the never want to talk the about. Side. Right. And, and they, they try to frame you as a monster for even thinking about the trade-offs, which, again, is, is neither realistic nor mature nor serious. Quickly, Jonah, we have about two minutes left, maybe three if we push it. Your overall thoughts on this infrastructure deal, the bipartisan deal that's moving through the Senate right now, the looming reconciliation battle, where it seems like the liberals are, are at each other's throats there. What do you make of this? And are the Republicans smarter to maybe go along with a bipartisan plan or to wash their hands of this whole process? Yeah, so this is a tough one for me. I mean, I, I'm against all of the infrastructure stuff, basically. I think it is lunacy at a time where we have particularly possibly nasty inflation coming and we've spent trillions of dollars already i mean i think if this thing passes we will have likely spent in this year something like the entire 2019 federal budget and um i don't think that our roads are falling yeah i don't think that our roads are falling apart i don't think i mean i guess there's infrastructure money to be spent but if you're going to do an infrastructure thing, doing it on, quote, unquote, hard infrastructure in a bipartisan way, that is more desirable to me than in, in other ways. Where I where I really have to get off the bus with Republicans on this is if, in fact, as a lot of our friends are suggesting, and they may be right about this, this is just basically setting up the Democrats to do all the soft infrastructure stuff through reconciliation and if this is basically a way to bribe Republicans for some good press releases in exchange for another two, three, four trillion dollars in money we don't have and can't afford to spend, then it's just it's truly folly. And shame on all of them if we end up having crazy inflation. Shame on all of them for visiting this on my grandkids. Should I ever have some uh, because of the debt that we're accumulating um, I just think it, they, the, the process has been so backwards where we start with a conversation of how much money we're going to spend rather than a conversation of what we need right. to spend it on. And then fill in the blanks. It's like, okay, here's the top yeah. line. Let's fill it in. They finally produce an actual bill, 2,000-plus pages. And at the very least, I would like them to all stop and read it and figure out what's in it before they take even one more vote on this, even procedurally on this. And then they have to make it. It's, it is a tough call for a couple different reasons, and we've covered both sides of that debate. But it does seem just taking a step back, like not just folly, but insanity with the inflation we already know about and the amount of money that's gone out the door, most of which we don't actually have, that we've printed or borrowed, 
to say, yes, let's figure out ways to spend trillions of of more dollars, partially on a bipartisan basis, partially not. It's like, what are you guys doing here? But these are the ways of Washington. Jonah Goldberg, our colleague at Fox News, editor-in-chief of The Dispatch. Always appreciate it, Jonah. Great to be here, my friend. Get better soon. Thank you. I I feel fine, but I appreciate it. With that, we'll step aside. Be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Energetic, informed, fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Jonah mentioned... Governor Gavin Newsom of California in that previous segment, Jonah Goldberg. And the thing about Newsom with the famous French laundry situation, which now in some ways pales in comparison to what Mayor Bowser has done in D.C., although both quite bad. And we talked last week about this other incident involving Newsom's kid at a camp and not wearing masks. And then they got caught and there were photos that pulled the kid out of camp. Newsom has this recall election coming up that was fueled by anger about a lot of the lockdowns and the policies and the hypocrisy and the lack of accountability. A lot of that anger is still simmering. And some of the polling that's come out recently shows that it's a tightening race. Newsom may have a slight advantage in terms of the polling right now not to get recalled, but Depending on turnout, I mean, it is definitely within the realm of possibility that it could happen. And one of the high-profile people running in that huge group of folks who would be in the mix should he get recalled is Caitlyn Jenner. And I haven't really talked much about Caitlyn Jenner on this show because I've never really thought that she was a very serious candidate. She's put out a couple good, smooth, slick videos, and that's it. The interviews haven't been great that she's done. She just apparently went and took a pause from the campaign trail to do a reality show in Australia. This is not what you do if you want to become governor of a state. You either have to be a serious person who wants the job or get out. That's my view of it on The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. The CDC put out new mask guidelines now, which is, you know, it's all just so confusing. Indoors, outdoors, vaccinated, vaccinated, mask, not mask. The, the Walmart shoppers don't know who to punch anymore. <laughs> so now we're back to wearing the mask from the front of the restaurant until the waiter brings the breadstick. It's called science, people. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think we have to cover our faces so other people can cover their ass. <laughs> it's the Guy Benson Show, Bill Maher on Friday. A little dose of truth from him, which is not infrequent these days. And one of the people in public life who seems to always be at the center of any of these controversies is Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. Not because he's doing anything outrageous, 
or terribly unusual, but because there are a lot of people with a vested interest in attacking him. It's all about politics more than anything else. And so they've tried to take him down over COVID once. They've failed. Now Florida, like many other places, is experiencing a significant Delta variant-driven spike. Right? There's a surge happening. There's no question that this Delta wave is a real thing. And it is overwhelmingly impacting people who are not vaccinated. Right? In terms of negative and, and serious and severe implications like hospitalizations and deaths. It's not just cases that are up significantly in Florida, although, again, it's other places. California is having a pretty serious COVID wave right now. But it's not a case-demic alone, as they call it, in Florida. There are also increased hospitalizations. This is an area for concern. But what you're hearing from some of the critics is, well, now DeSantis has to do X, Y, or Z this mandate or this restriction or this requirement and he's eschewed all of that stuff the whole time he's followed data and science very closely he's really done an adult job of risk assessment he talks to a lot of experts reads a lot of literature he just had a round table the other day featuring a stanford medical professor talking about masking and children in schools And so DeSantis late last week made the announcement he is not going to allow mask mandates in schools for children in Florida. Just like he mandated that schools remain open last year. He was not going to allow the teachers unions to rob Florida kids and families of a crucial academic year. It wasn't going to happen on his watch, and so it didn't. And the results were fantastic. There were not big super spreader events. There was not massive learning loss and all the other terrible ramifications of so-called remote learning and closed schools that were seen all over the place with that harm being inflicted against the data and against the science by bureaucrats and elected officials and teachers unions. That did not happen in Florida. So this year he's saying, of course, we're going to have schools open again and we're not going to have mandatory masks. We are going to let parents decide what is best for their own children when it comes to mask wearing in schools which seems like pretty good policy to me seems like very good politics but the parents in charge there are mixed indications about whether or not masking of children and young children in particular is helpful at all we've talked about this right there was a harvard medical professor who came after dr fauci and criticized fauci for saying yes if you're three and up you have to wear a mask and that harvard professor said no that's not accurate or a fair policy for three different reasons. DeSantis, in his announcement late last week, talked about a study from Brown University. I would also point out, and I've said this last week as well, in the UK, that is a government over in the UK that leans into restrictions and mandates, just in general, not even in the emergency or the pandemic. They are a society where the central government calls a lot of the shots and they're very deferential. Right? We throw tea overboard into the harbor. They say, yes, sir, may I have another from their government. That's just generally the way our societies work. As much as we love the Brits, it's just different culture in that way. But even in the mandate-happy UK, the government looked at all of this data and said that schools can be open and kids don't have to wear masks. And that's been their policy, and it's worked incredibly well. And yet, all the same people are coming out and treating Ron DeSantis like he is 
visiting a death sentence upon the children of Florida by allowing their parents to decide whether they should wear a mask in classrooms. It's crazy. It's not a hypothetical. We have tons of data on this stuff from around the world. The UK government, which is looking for excuses, it feels like, to impose restrictions, decided not to do it based on the data. No masks in schools in the UK. But Ron DeSantis, what an evil villain he is. And they're pointing to the surge in Florida, which is driven by unvaccinated adults, as the latest proof, quote-unquote, in their mind that DeSantis is just ruining everything. It's not true. I think people are going to see through it yet again because they just over and over again go to the same well, the same effort, and it's obviously driven and motivated by something other than public health. It's politics. So DeSantis gave, a, I think, a good speech last week explaining things. Here's a little taste of it in cut six. CDC's policies, by doing this so ham-handedly, by not looking at things like this Brown study, um, it really shows a callous disregard for the physical, emotional, and academic well-being of our children. Uh, They need to be put first. We had this whole year and a half where so many people in our society wanted to put the kids last. They wanted to impose most of the most extreme mitigation on the kids that were the least likely to face any negative harm from this. Which is correct. That is accurate science. And therefore, here's the executive order that he announced, cut seven. I'll be signing an executive order uh, which directs the Florida Department of Education and Department of Health uh, to issue uh, emergency rules protecting the rights of parents uh, to make this decision about wearing masks for their for their children. Uh, We think that that's the most fair way to do it. You know, I like I have young kids. My wife and I are not going to do the mask with the kids. We never have. We want I want to see my kids smiling. I want them having fun. And that got a positive reaction in the room, obviously. Parents making decisions for their children. And it's a completely scientifically justifiable decision. It's not like he's putting a ton of people at crazy risk to make a political point here. There's a very strong medical argument that clearly persuaded the UK government that he's right to do this. Oh, but the histrionics are underway. Randy Weingarten, the Cretanist teachers union boss, who is one of the most contemptible figures in modern American politics, given what she and her ilk have done to children in this country. It's unforgivable. She tweets today, why does Governor DeSantis no longer believe in local control? Why won't he help deal with the Florida Delta surge? This is the woman who's been now equivocating a little bit on reopening schools this school year, having already doomed the development and mental health and educational progress of so many millions of kids across the country last year through her selfish anti-science manipulations, where she and her union actually helped create the quote-unquote science that the CDC ran with for a while, disgraceful. She said, well, why doesn't he believe in local control anymore? Well, he's the governor. This is not a federal mandate. And he's not forcing people not to wear masks. He is saying it's up to parents. That seems like very local, right? Hyper-local, in fact. Each parent and household gets to make a decision for their family. That's a very local diffusion of power down to people to make calls about the well-being of their family. 
And the second point, why won't he help with the Florida Delta surge? I mean, what? Of course he is. Just because he's not doing the restrictions that you all said were the right thing to do for a year, and it turned out that actually Florida did the opposite of those things in a lot of cases, and where are they now? Better than the national average on death rate, even though they have such a high percentage of senior citizens and vulnerable people. Better than the national average there. Better than the national average on unemployment. Outperforming a lot of other states that did all this lockdown, all these restrictions. Now it's, oh, he's not doing the questionable consensus again, and therefore he's doing nothing to help with the surge. He is not going along with potentially harmful policies. What he is doing, and really the only thing that leaders can do at this point, in terms of a priority, he is encouraging people to get vaccinated. The reason that the Delta spike or the Delta wave is as serious as it is on hospitalizations and death is because unvaccinated people are the ones overwhelmingly getting very sick. We talked about breakthrough infections in the first hour because I have my own breakthrough infection, which is I told you about last hour. Those exist, but they are overwhelmingly, almost universally mild. The real concern here about serious hospitalized cases and deaths, that is concentrated among unvaccinated people. And so what DeSantis has been doing since word one is getting the most vulnerable people in his state vaccinated. He was pushing for senior citizens to get priority from the very beginning, and the critics attacked him for that. Then it turned out he was right, and the CDC actually adjusted its guidance to mirror the obviously correct Florida model. But because they have to criticize everything DeSantis did, even when it was so blatantly obviously right, they criticized him for that as well. He was on national television, Fox and Friends, getting senior citizens vaccinated, presiding over the shots going into arms on national television. He himself got vaccinated. We did a segment, what was it, a week or two ago, where he gave a press conference and messaged, I think, brilliantly well to unvaccinated people, not talking down to them or scolding them or sneering at them or talking about mandates and all this other stuff, also not disincentivizing them. By doing things like you're going to have to wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated, taking away some of the carrots, he's not going to do that. He has not done that. He talked to them, I think, in a very persuasive way. He is focused on the number one priority, the number one thing that leaders can truly do to kill coronavirus as a pandemic and turn it into a lower level endemic virus that is not terribly lethal. And that is encouraging vaccination. And not using hysteria to do things that are scientifically questionable and dubious and could very much be harmful, especially to children. I feel like we're in another episode here of Groundhog Day. So that's Randy Weingarten, who probably still can't forgive Ron DeSantis. Not only because she's a hardcore, fanatical partisan Democrat, but because what the state of Florida and Ron DeSantis did last year with schools, having them all open all year, and that working spectacularly well, it disproved in real time, it exploded, it exposed their fear-mongering crap that they were pulling elsewhere around the country. And all those kids being needlessly harmed, sitting at home in failing remote learning scenarios, Florida was proving that was all unnecessary and unscientific, not hypothetically in real life. And for that sin, 
of doing right by the children of Florida, Randy Weingarten can never forgive Ron DeSantis. One more soundbite. Chris Cuomo of CNN had some sharp words, strong thoughts from Chris for Governor DeSantis and about him. Listen to Cut 10. The question becomes, as a policy perspective, is how long do you allow the majority of this country, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, South, North, the majority of every group and demographic we have have gotten vaccinated. How long do you allow them to be held hostage in states, let's say, like Florida, where, you know, you have the governor saying, yeah, I know it's breaking out. We're going the other way. Don't Fauci this, uh, my Florida, no mask mandates. I'll let the parents decide. I mean, where is that messaging going to get you? Well, it has already gotten Florida to better than the national average in the death rate better than the national average in unemployment numbers and other metrics like that. I also don't know how carefully and closely Cuomo is thinking about his point. He's saying, well, we don't want to hold everyone hostage to the unvaccinated. Isn't that an endorsement of not having mask mandates for vaccinated people? Wouldn't forcing vaccinated people to wear masks all the time, even if they're asymptomatic and feeling fine, isn't that a form of holding the majority hostage to people who don't want to get vaccinated? That seems like Cuomo's almost got it backwards as he criticizes Ron DeSantis. Maybe Chris should maybe sit down for a moment in quiet and really think about his point. Also, one other thing about Chris Cuomo. Sir, perhaps you should not be throwing rocks at anyone else about COVID policy ever, considering what your brother has done to your state and that scandal and those lies and all of those deaths, and also given the fact that you yourself broke a quarantine and lied about it and then pretended on national television like it had never happened, even though there's definitive proof. And you also were cited in your own apartment building in New York City for not wearing a mask in public spaces and were admonished repeatedly for it. According to reports, that's you, Chris Cuomo. That's your brother, Chris. Andrew, you may have heard of him. If that's the rap sheet of you personally and your family on these issues, maybe take a step back and have a seat. Especially when you are comparing any of that to the actions of Ron DeSantis in Florida. Just a thought. Just a friendly pro tip. One broadcaster to another. The Guy Benson Show returns after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. Glad to have you along on board here on the show every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I went a little long in that previous segment, but I had a lot to say. And I'm glad I said all of it. But we still have a little bit of time in this segment for Woke Tales. Woke Tales. This comes via Jason Rance, our friend. See him on Fox all the time. He's the programming director at KTTH, our affiliate in Seattle. And the lead says it all. The government, quote, shut down a seven-year-old girl's lemonade stand in Everett, Washington, yet the city refuses to clear the nearby homeless encampments that neighbors have been complaining about. So it's a story about this little girl, Elsa Lemaine, who has this tradition of running a lemonade stand to make a little bit of money, and she sets up in this public park and sells flowers and lemonade and vegetables, and I guess some snotty, nosy Karen neighbor complained about this, so they sent police 
to come shut down this girl's lemonade stand. Meanwhile, not far away, you have these almost lawless homeless camps. And that's just sort of like hands off. And in a piece of juxtaposition that has to make you laugh and or cry, when there was a news story about this shutdown lemonade stand and the family was being interviewed about what had happened, a homeless man just sort of wandered by with this little girl right there, totally naked in broad daylight, just stark naked homeless dude walking around, wandering around. And the real problem, I guess, according to the authorities, is a little girl trying to sell her lemonade. And if you feel like the priorities might be a little bit out of whack in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, I don't know how much more evidence you could possibly ask for. Clamping down on the entrepreneurial spirit of a seven-year-old, that's something the government out there feels comfortable doing. Solving any other number of problems, like not letting activists take over entire neighborhoods or Antifa from terrifying people, well, that's, that's a little more complicated. And they're taking tools away from the police to deal with actual criminals while the police are dispatched to do this type of thing, to the menace of lemonade stands. I'd call it incredible, but it is totally credible and believable coming out of that neck of the woods. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show. Straight ahead. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by The Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time now for the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show on this Monday from rainy sticky Austin, Texas. Thank you for listening. I'm Guy Benson. Our website is GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is free every day, and as we've been mentioning, we hit a new all-time record in downloads and listens to the podcast last month. That is thanks to all of you. We appreciate it immensely. Let's keep it growing. Keep it building. GuyBensonShow.com FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you might get your free podcasts. And the happy hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, as always. They are expanding across the whole country. I'm hearing that that expansion is going to accelerate. It's growing more rapid, which is great news. You can find out where the long drink is sold near you at thelongdrink.com. You can also order online, which is what we do. Thelongdrink.com. It is really good. Delicious. I hear from you guys all the time as you try it. Rave reviews across the board. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only, please. Well, we begin our final hour today with a very familiar guest here on the program. She joined us, I believe, twice last week, and she has probably been hearing from me by text more than she ever dreamed or hoped she ever would over the last few days, because as we mentioned at the top of the show, if you missed it, please go back and listen on the podcast, the whole explanation. I have COVID. I'm a fully vaccinated person. I have COVID. The good news is I haven't really skipped a beat because I feel fine. This is the advantage of being vaccinated and having a breakthrough case as opposed to being unvaccinated and 
quite possibly having much more significant complications. Nevertheless, testing positive for COVID is never a fun thing. I did so again this morning. I've got these rapid tests, and Dr. Nicole Sapphire has kind of almost been acting like my own personal physician for the last few days, responding to my texts, being very patient and proactive. Doctor, first of all, welcome back to the show. Thank you for everything you've been doing, and I definitely owe you a drink or two or three when this is all over. Physician, friend, and therapist. That is what I am here for, Guy. Happy Monday. (laughs) Happy Monday to you. And by the way, since you are being so kind and since you're joining us again on the show, the least I can do is plug your latest book, Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science and the Fight Against COVID-19. She's, of course, also a medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor. And all right, doctor, let's just talk about this experience because... I shared it with the audience at the top of the show. I've written about it at townhall.com. I'll tweet about it. I kind of want, almost counterintuitively, my positive diagnosis, because you and I have been talking about this now for months. I mean, well over a year. Breakthrough cases have been an especially hot topic recently. And then, boom, I've got one. I kind of want to frame it, not in any sort of like cynical or manipulative way, just because of the reality, as a positive thing, not just you know, not just the pun about a positive test, but I think the fact that my symptoms have been so mild and that I've been able to basically live my life as normal just while isolating for the sake of others, I think that that is a testament to the power and efficacy of, of these vaccines. Well, absolutely. I mean, that was the first thing I said to you. I said, well, hey, here's the good news. You know, when I had any friend or family member or anybody test positive pre-vaccine, the goal was to keep them from developing severe disease and potentially having to be hospitalized. And even a young, healthy guy like you, these people were still getting really bad flus that were knocking them, you know, on their butts for a couple of weeks. But for you, knowing that you are fully vaxxed and still young and healthy, I was like, I have a feeling this is going to be a short cold for you, which is a great thing. These vaccines, yes, you're hearing about all these breakthrough infections because Delta is just so contagious. But the great news is it's turning a severe flu into a mild cold for the far majority of people. And that's what people need to understand. And you are doing what you need to do. Yes, the chance of you having to be hospitalized or getting a severe outcome from this is essentially zero. Um, But you can still potentially spread it, maybe. And so you're keeping yourself away from other people. It makes sense. That's common sense. And that's what it looks like when we have a virus that is endemic. You know, I have to tell this story because people who listen to the show on a regular basis, they'll remember you and I talked on Friday. And we had an interview on Friday's show. And after the interview, after we were done, I ended up calling you. This is before I tested positive. I hadn't even gotten tested yet. That was coming a few hours later. But I called you. And I just wanted to make sure on a very sort of hyper-technical point that I was getting the answer correct, getting my thoughts correct, because I want to be as careful and accurate on the air as I possibly can be. And you very kindly took my call. We chatted for about five minutes off the air, just on the phone. And you said what you just said now, and it stuck with me, and it really had my antenna up at that time, because you said what the vaccines have done 
is they've turned a really dangerous disease for vaccinated people into, for the most part, just a common cold. And I was having on Friday common cold symptoms, just a head cold, a little cough, a little tickle in my throat, a little bit of a runny nose. And between you saying that and another interaction that I had with someone talking about a relative, a young relative who had these types of symptoms, turned out that he had COVID, even though he was fully vaccinated. Those two things are what caused me and induced me to go out of my way to get tested before I then went to an event here in Texas with the governor and some of his supporters. It was just enough in the back of my mind to say, you know what, it's probably worth getting tested now just to be safe. Based on your sort of explanation of what the symptoms would broadly feel like, And thank goodness I did, because I probably spared a potential viral load in the face of the governor of Texas and who knows how many other people. (laughs) And so thank you again for your on-air guidance and your off-air guidance. And I guess just expanding that out, not just to me, because, I mean, I can talk about myself forever, as the audience can attest, but I'm more interested in other people. Like, if there are people who are fully vaccinated right now, because I can sense the anxiety rising in people as i've told some of my friends and family you can they're like "Ooh, you're fully vaccinated right you can hear in their voice "Uh uh-oh how might this affect me from a doctor's perspective what is your message to those people who have done what they've been told they've done what's been asked of them they've gotten fully vaccinated then they're hearing these examples cropping up how nervous should they be what can you say to reassure them and what's sort of the the threshold that you would offer your guidance on in terms of when someone ought to think about, okay, is this a symptom? Maybe I should put a mask on. Maybe I should go get tested. All great questions. And so I want to remind people that, you know, hospitalization and death is not, has never been the the only metric that we look at when it comes to COVID-19, right? We're also looking for people who develop chronic long COVID. You know, there are people who are still having shortness of breath six months after diagnosis. One question we don't have all the answers to right now is, you know, if the vaccinated people who have mild symptoms, a mild breakthrough case, will, are they subject to long COVID? And because of these unknowns that people are like, oh, we have to be careful, we have to be careful. And sure, yes, we want to be careful. But I want to, I want to tell people, first of all, long COVID, it is a legitimate diagnosis. I think I have a feeling it's probably overdiagnosed. I think, you know, right now the number one um, symptom complaint of those with long COVID is fatigue. And I do think that if you polled the majority of Americans, whether they had COVID or not, they would probably all report that they have fatigue. So, you know, we do need a lot more research on long COVID. But the good news when it comes to long COVID is, one, again, increased risk the older you get twice as common in women, and the people who tend to get long COVID were those who had more severe symptoms, not necessarily hospitalized, but really were symptomatic. And what we're seeing in the vaccinated, they're not that symptomatic. So my guess is those vaccinated who get these mild breakthrough cases, their risk of long COVID is likely very low. So I just want to say that caveat. But for people, listen, right now, there are pockets throughout the country. There are, there's, there's a lot of virus still circulating. It, COVID's not over if you haven't gotten the memo. And if you're fully vaccinated and you're doing things right and you end up getting a, a what feels like a summer cold, it very well is probably a summer cold. It just may be caused by SARS-CoV-2, which can cause COVID-19. So I think for everybody's sake right now, especially if you plan to go to work, be around other people, 
getting the test isn't a bad idea. They're available at CVS, Walgreens, all these rapid tests. You know, you're able to actually buy these now. Um, one thing that's going to come out of this pandemic is people are going to stop really going to work when they're sick. Yeah, it's very easy. But, you know, think of historically, you'd get a bad cold, even a mild flu, you would go to work. And then we spread it at work. And that was pretty normal. That's not normal anymore. So even a mild cold, you shouldn't be going to work or you should at least be getting tested before you do because it very well can be SARS-CoV-2. And the last thing you want to do is transmit this virus to your colleagues, to your family, to whomever. So better be safe than sorry. Get tested, even if very, very mild symptoms. Yeah, and I worked remote on Friday. You and I worked together. We were on the radio and TV together. I did four hours on the air on Friday. Despite being COVID positive, I didn't know it at the time, obviously. And then when I told you, I texted you. I'm like, well, guess what, doctor? Guess who has COVID? You're like, you're kidding. And you said, actually, that sort of frog in your throat or the tickle in your throat, I could hear it on the air on TV. I'm like, yep, that that's what it was. I do want to ask you about another component of this because it's now going from almost like a hypothetical conversation among certain elites and pharmaceutical executives and you know think pieces now it's becoming public policy in some of our allied countries for example Israel I saw now the UK as well some authorization for so-called booster shots or a third vaccine dose for especially vulnerable people older people as there are maybe some concerns that there's some waning effect after a certain period of time, a certain number of months. Can we add extra protection, especially for the elderly? The Israelis and the Brits seem to be saying yes in the form of a third shot, Pfizer or Moderna or that type of mRNA vaccine. Is that something that you think is a good idea? And do you think that is going to start to become a trend here? You know, I'll be honest. For some reason, the U.S. continues to be behind the eight ball with a lot. Uh, That's one of the biggest disappointments for me is our data collection and our action is is either largely based on non-scientific fear or they're just late at implementing. So, I mean, looking at U.K., looking at Israel, with the data all coming out of Pfizer, they had Delta before us. That's where we should be looking. If they are saying the elderly and immunosuppressed need booster shots, they're probably right. (laughs) And here's the difference between UK and and Israel, which is a little bit interesting. Israel was very strict. They were doing that second dose of the mRNA two to three weeks afterwards, which was what was recommended, because that's what they did in the clinical trials. The UK did a different approach. They actually prolonged it. Some people were six to 12 weeks before the second dose, because their goal was to get as many first doses out as possible, which is something that I agreed with. They're having fewer breakthrough infections in the U.K. in the vaccinated population, and it's possible that's because that longer interval between first and second dose actually primed their immune system to give them more of a robust immunity and immune response to the vaccine. So my guess is the booster is going to be much more necessary. You know, I think we may be needing them in the United States because we had that shorter interval, about three weeks. Um, but, I, you know, it, it, this isn't new. In our, It's called immunosenescence. And those over 65, immunity to certain things tends to decrease over time. So it's not surprising that they may need a booster shot because they were the most vulnerable and still are. So will we be seeing it for everyone? I don't think so. But I certainly think boosters 
may be warranted in um, those over 65, those with chronic medical conditions that may have dampened their immune response. I believe Pfizer's coming out with a lower dose booster that'll hit the market relatively soon. And, and I think it would behoove the United States to uh, kind of fall, do what's happening in other countries because they have been seeing it and dealing with it longer than us. And I think that would be the best way to stop us from getting in a tricky situation in the fall and winter is to give those low-dose boosters to the appropriate populations. Well, doctor, we know that the administration announced today that now more than 70% of American adults have gotten at least their first shot, if not both. 70%. That's a really impressive number so far. That's a lot of people Liberals, conservatives, independents, everyone coming together, big upticks in recent days, uh, people saying, okay, this Delta thing seems serious, let's go get vaccinated. I hope that my example can help encourage people to do so, and I know that Dr. Sapphire has been making the case, the medical case, for why it's smart to do so on this show and across the airwaves now for months on end. Doctor, again, I cannot thank you enough uh, for, for all of your guidance and help over these last few days. Hopefully, I'll just test freaking negative pretty soon i can with all due respect to texas i would like to go home but in the meantime uh you might get a few more texts from me Uh, i'm very grateful to you and we look forward to having you back here i welcome your text and i appreciate how responsible you have been throughout this entire way and i wish more people could um do what you do Oh, well, thank you, doctor. That's Dr. Nicole Sapphire, our colleague here at Fox News on The Guy Benson Show. The happy hour continues after this very short break. Energetic, informed, fast-paced, Guy Benson Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. I saw this headline, and at first I was like, wait, is this is this a joke, or is this a story from 1994 on the set of Goodwill Hunting, or I don't know what year that was. Is that the late 90s? It's 1996 with Goodwill Hunting. I mean, the fact that it was the mid-90s, and Matt Damon was already a leading actor, I can't believe that he's 50. This is one of the most shocking things in this story that I read. Matt Damon is 50? I guess that's a way to make some of us start to feel a little bit older. In any case, Matt Damon, big Hollywood celebrity, he has announced, I guess he's doing some promotional stuff for a new project, and he has announced to the world, I guess he's very proud of himself, that he has stopped using a slur for gay people that starts with the letter F. F-A-G is the short version of it. And he said, well, his daughter had importuned him to stop using that word because it's offensive. And he said, oh, well, I didn't really mean it. It was just kind of a joke. And she wrote this whole letter to him. And he has now said, I've stopped using that word. I was like, well, it is 2021, Matt. And you are a progressive in Hollywood. I sort of couldn't believe that he was still using that term, which is known to be a slur and derogatory. I was like, I'm, I'm glad you're telling us that you've given it up. It, at age 50 in the year of our Lord 2021. But I'm not really sure if you deserve a medal for that. And no, I'm not calling for him to be canceled. I do wonder if he might be getting out in front of something here. That's sort of the cynical 
part of me. You don't have to cancel the guy. I'm just sort of curious what kind of insular world does he inhabit, especially in the Hollywood glitterati, that he would all the way up until a few months ago apparently have been using this word. I was intrigued by that. But better late than never, I guess. Thanks, Matt. Congratulations. Welcome to the current century, etc. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this. The Guy Benson Show. As we return here on the Monday edition of the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, earlier in the program, we caught up with our colleague, Jonah Goldberg, writer, author, editor of thedispatch.com, and also a Fox News contributor. Much to get to with him. We covered a lot of topics. Here's part of my discussion with Jonah Goldberg. So I spent much of the first hour on the show. I I know you were listening because you listen every day, all three hours. Uh, But in case for some strange reason you may have missed it, Jonah, I spent much of the first hour talking about how I found out over the weekend that I am now one of these much-discussed breakthrough cases of COVID. I tested positive. I'm fully vaccinated. I feel fine because of the vaccine, frankly. It's extremely, extremely mild. I'm, of course, isolating just for the sake of other people, and I feel like 90% good. I also still feel that some of these mask mandates for vaccinated people are silly because as soon as I started to feel a little bit off, with a runny nose and a tickle in my throat and a cough, I started wearing a mask on my own volition. No one told me to do it. I decided this is probably the better part of valor, that I'm going to go get tested as soon as I can. And the test came back uh, positive. And I wasn't going to get tested except I was about to attend a big event with a lot of people, some of whom may not be vaccinated. I just These are the decisions that I think citizens of a free country who are responsible, empathetic adults can make for themselves – You have written now a few different times on social media. I read some of your column on Friday over the air about the mask mandates and why you're basically done with them, especially in my mind for vaccinated asymptomatic people. I completely agree with you. If you would lay out your argument why, because I know immediately there are going to be people stomping their feet saying, here go these conservatives again, uh, you know, denying science and they're going to get people killed. And this guy even had a breakthrough case and he still doesn't believe in masks. Um, If only it were that simple, Jonah. Right. So first of all, um, I'm sorry to hear that you got sick. I have every confidence that you'll be fine given A, your age, B, your generally good health and C, that you were vaccinated. Still, I think it's regrettable that when news came out today that you were sick, that the stock market went down. Um, it's, just, it's a testimony to your to your influence and your my, role. In my influence. Society. It's true. Uh, look, uh, <laughs> I, as I wrote in my column last week, I am I have been very, very middle of the road on all of this stuff. I criticize people who turn masks into some sort of virtue signaling thing that proved that blue state Americans were more morally serious. My full interview with Jonah Goldberg available online at GuyBensonShow.com and also part of our free podcast. That's the whole show every day on demand, no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your free podcast. When we come back the home stretch, well, as we've been talking about today, I tested positive for COVID on Friday. I've been isolating ever since. Feel fine. But producer Christine has questions. She's a curious gal. As a matter of fact, it took a while to get in touch with her on Friday to give her the news. 
I'll give you one guess what she was doing. We'll get to all of that when we come back. Guy Benson will be right back. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so flashback with me. It's Friday night. I was getting ready to go to this event with Governor Abbott here in Texas. And based on several little pieces of evidence and concern, I decided to get a rapid test. And I told the whole story in the first hour. If you missed it, you can get it on the free podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. So I get the rapid test, do the old nostril swirl each side, put it in the thing, and then there is a little like pregnancy test style red line that you were not expecting or hoping to see, and I'm positive. So immediately my brain goes into contingency planning. How long am I going to be here? Where do I have to isolate? When do I move my flight? Do I have all of my equipment with me if I have to do the show from hotel rooms for a while, which I'm, of course, doing right now? (laughs) And I thought I probably need to tell producer Christine. Not to freak her out, because Christine is, God love her, an excitable lady. And so I figured I would have to lead with the fact that I'm fine, there's nothing to be worried about, but we had to kind of talk this stuff through. What would next steps look like for the show, and if I couldn't get back to D.C., all these things. So I called her, this is Friday night, no answer. And I sent her a text, no response. And I, to be fair to myself, I don't really call her or text her after hours very much at all. In the early days of the show, a lot more. But recently, I just kind of like leave her alone. But this was a situation where it was relatively urgent. I needed to convey this stuff to her. We had to talk it through. So then I called her again, nothing. And I just like called her every so often, probably five or six missed calls. Texted her like, hey, really have to talk. Nothing. So I'm starting to wonder, oh, do we have another quote-unquote airplane mode situation here with producer Christine. It is sort of uncanny. In the very rare circumstances where I actually need to get in touch with her after hours on a show, it's very hard to get in touch with her. It's just been, I don't know, bad luck or, you know, Cookie decides she's going to turn her phone off, the whole airplane mode debacle from Atlanta a couple months ago. That was not the most recent Atlanta trip. It was the previous Atlanta trip. In any case, I'm sitting here wondering, do I have to go through her husband again, Bobby? Which is what we ended up having to do one of these times. But at long last, she returned my call. And Christine, would you care to tell the audience the very first thing that you said to me? I looked down at my phone. I saw some missed calls. I saw some text messages and I called you back. And I believe the first words I said to you were, I'm almost a bottle in. This better be an emergency. (laughs) Uh, And I think it was not even almost a bottle. I think it was, I'm a bottle in. And so (laughs) I then realized, so it was your, your normal paranoia plus a bottle of wine. I wanted to sort of ease into the conversation and not, frighten you so i said about 10 different ways i'm fine everything's fine don't worry don't freak out everything's going to be fine and then i just told you that i tested positive you gasped very loudly 
and then excused yourself, I guess, from this dinner party that you were at and went outside. We had the whole conversation, and we've been in touch, of course, back and forth all weekend, and a lot of it was kind of depending on how the rapid test would go because as soon as I can test negative, I'm, I'm bouncing out of here as quickly as I can to get back home and got some weddings I'm supposed to go to this coming weekend. It's a whole thing. So now that I am here in hotel what, number two in the greater Austin, Texas area, and I'm feeling like 90% fine physically, and yet I'm still here, I know that you have a lot of curiosities, as you often do, as curious, Christine, about this experience. And one area in particular that I'd mentioned to you was the very strange, common side effect of taste and smell being affected, which was not the case like the first day or two, but by Saturday, it was definitely becoming a thing. And I actually was kind of bored by myself, alone in this hotel room on Saturday night, and I actually conducted some experiments. Because I have a very good friend from college, Josh, he and his lovely wife, Lindsay, they live in the Austin area. I was supposed to see them over the weekend, and I had to explain why I couldn't see them, and they immediately said, oh, well, what can we do to help? We want to bring you stuff. What can we do? And Dr. Sapphire had given me via text a bunch of advice. You should have this. You should have that. And so I gave them this list. I said, I'll Venmo you for the cost of everything, but if you wouldn't mind, it would be hugely helpful if you brought me these things. And Josh said, oh, Lindsay's cooking. She wants to cook you some meals. I said, well, I'm not opposed to a home-cooked meal. So he went and got all this stuff, and she did all this cooking, and he dropped it right outside my hotel room door. And we had a conversation. It was actually sort of sad. We had this conversation Aww. through the hotel door because I couldn't actually see him. I couldn't really spend time with him, but I wanted to thank him. And, and I, anyone walking by probably thought the whole thing looked very weird. But I brought everything in. I've got a little fridge here in the hotel room. And there was a sort of an interesting array of different food and different things. And so on Saturday night, I said, how bad is my sense of taste right now? How bad is my sense of smell right now? So I started doing little, as I said, experiments to test those propositions. And I would say the smell is pretty out of whack. Like I have a, a cologne, the cologne I've used since high school, Polo Blue, if you must know. I think it's a classic, good scent. I sprayed it right in my face and took a big whiff and I had like only the tiniest hint of polo blue, barely. It's like, well, that's weird. Certain things I would taste, and it would be, here's how I would describe it. It's not that it was free of any taste or that the taste had disappeared altogether. It was as if, imagine you're watching TV. You don't mute the TV, but you turn it down until there's maybe just one or two bars where there's still almost muted sound, but you can hear it. That is the equivalent of what a lot of the taste has been for me, where like the onion on a pizza, I can taste the onion, but it's just multiple levels lower than it should be or that I know how it should taste, right? The only thing that really tasted completely wrong, totally off, was I had a Coors Light in the fridge. And this is not a Coors Light joke about it being, you know, a tasteless beer. That's not what I'm saying. I went, and I'm like, I'm going to try 
this beer. Cracked it open, had a sip. Nope, not good. Not. It was, it was as if it were a seltzer, like seltzer water or club soda, that had maybe gone bad or something like that. There was no hint of beer whatsoever. So that was very strange. And then on the other end of the spectrum, because Lindsay had cooked all this great stuff, and I could taste parts of it, but not others. I could taste, they sent me some mixed nuts. I could actually taste the difference between certain nuts. I'm like, okay, I know that this is a pecan. I can tell that this is a cashew. That's sort of weird. How can I distinguish between nuts, but I can't taste you know, much bigger flavors, peppers or onions very well? She had also included a little Tupperware, and it was so cute. On each Tupperware, she had a little Post-it note with instructions. This is the name of the dish. Here's how you reheat the dish. I felt very well taken care of by the team here, by producer Christine, by Dr. Sapphire, by my friends. I'm honestly, I feel very grateful and very fortunate in a lot of ways, as weird as that may be being holed up in a hotel room here. But one of the little containers that they included in this care package was fresh fruit. So there was strawberries blueberries, raspberries, and fresh cherries. And I said, okay, this is going to be interesting. Am I going to taste these berries at all? Strawberry, uh, I'd say like 50%. Raspberries, 80%. You could taste the raspberry. Blueberries, which are very subtle in taste to begin with, I could 100% taste the blueberries. I don't understand that. And then the cherries were perhaps the most delicious thing I've tasted in the last three days. The cherries had full-blown flavor, which was very exciting. The last point I will make before I turn it over to Curious Christine for questions is this. How long ago was it that here in the happy hour, I was talking about the new formula and recipe for Coke Zero and expressing my opposition to it? Because I'm a Coke Zero Sugar person. I have been for years. They're tinkering with the recipe again. Very upset. Well, Josh, when he dropped off the care package, knowing me quite well, had a six-pack of the new Coke Zero included. With the new packaging, which I will say the package, like the, the can, looks pretty sleek. I like the new design of the package. It's more on the red side than the black side like the old cans. The irony is... As eager as I was and skeptical of the new taste and all of that, and I was ready to have a very strong opinion, I've now had four of them, and I can't tell you what I think of them. (laughs) Because it tastes vaguely like Coke Zero, but that's all. I can't really go beyond that because of the taste situation. So I'll have to report back whenever my senses are restored to their full operating level. Because right now that's not the case. All right, Christine, I'm sure you've got questions. We have a few minutes left for those. Well, that was going to a lot of those questions you already answered. But I have to ask you this, because, um, as you said in the beginning of the interview, I am sometimes an excitable lady. And when things happen that aren't great, sometimes I panic at any point during this whole thing. And especially the day you found out you had it. Did, like, the blood drain for you? Were you terrified that, A, you were by yourself in a different state from where you live? And that, oh, like, yes, I'm good. I know I'm vaccinated. But, oh, my gosh, this could potentially be really bad. Or do you just not have that sensor? 
honestly, I never got to that point. I was actually more, I honestly was more concerned about what you might do in reaction to me telling you that I had tested positive. Like I was <laughs> envisioning you, you know, at your house or at a friend's house and getting the news and just running straight through and shattering a glass door and just running through the neighborhood streaked with blood or being, you know, if, God forbid you were driving and I called you and you just drove directly off a bridge in a panic. Like that was higher up on my list of concerns than my own physical state. And part of the reason was, and I talked about this at the top of the show when I announced my COVID positive status, the day that I had COVID, the day that I found out I had COVID, I was on the air for four hours. I was not tired. I was not feverish. I went for a run in the Texas heat. I did so again yesterday. Like, the, the symptoms that I have, such as they even existed, were a light head cold that I would not have skipped a day of work for, typically, actually to Dr. Sapphire's point earlier this hour. So there was never really something that triggered in my head saying, okay, this thing that I'm currently feeling is an alarm bell. I'll say this also, the long COVID diagnosis where some people have these symptoms and they go on and on for months that's one of the reasons that I got vaccinated, and Sapphire was just saying your likelihood of having that happen much lower if you're vaccinated, also if you're younger. So I'm you know, checking both of those boxes. The most concerning feeling that I've had over the last few days is what if I don't get my sense of smell and taste back fully for weeks? That would really suck. But again, in the scheme of things, that's not too bad. One more quickly, Curious Christine. Okay, uh, I'm going to name some names for you, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Dana Perino, Martha McCallum. Uh, any of those talent hosts called their producer at 9 p.m. over and over again. Do you think any of their producers would have answered saying, what, I'm a bottle in? No. I think you're a very unique cookie in that sense and i think you know that i'm right that's an easy question and we're out of time so it's a one word answer which is appropriate no anyway feeling like 90 percent fine glad to have you here thank you for all the well wishes and notes that i've gotten already and we'll be back from another hotel we think in texas tomorrow on the guy benson show until then have a great night stay safe get vaccinated Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.